the academic health and logistical complexities of returning children to brick and mortar classrooms during the pandemic are real. Are issues of educational equity and equality being adequately addressed in the reboot of U.S. schools? Here to discuss that question and others on the Kansas Reflector podcast is Dorothy Hines, an assistant professor at the University of Kansas. She is a joint appointment in the Department of African and African-American Studies and in the Department of Curriculum and Teaching in the School of Education. I'm your host, Tim Carpenter. Professor Hines, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for having me. So let's just jump into some of the questions I had for you. You'll be our expert of the day. So as the students go back to class, they return to the classrooms across the country with COVID lurking about us, what worries you the most? Um, One of the things that worries me the most is obviously uh, safety, but also schools being able to rethink how they address equity. So even within this time of, of COVID, how can schools adequately address issues of inequality that now may manifest itself in different ways, right? Equity and inequality isn't just something that happens when people are there. It can also be something that happens when people are not in the same space. And so that means in terms of looking at um, what is the access students actually have to an actual laptop or computer? You know, people may have internet access students, but is it on their cell phone? Are they able to do Microsoft Word on their cell phone? Does their cell phone have enough data to even hold Microsoft, that app itself? And so there's a lot of complexities that schools have to consider when we look at, you know, how do we resume back in this normal schedule in an unnormal, atypical type of social environment that we're in right now? And so definitely one of the things that worries me is not just about student safety away from school and for those that are returning to school, what that looks like, but also how can school districts collectively address this issue of equity that's kind of been a long-standing issue that we've seen historically and that we still see manifesting today. So I'm thinking about uh, you're trying to bring students up to par somehow, but I'm wondering about students falling further behind and falling behind at different paces. Uh, So perhaps exactly the problem you're trying to address could be amplified. Oh, yes. And and what we see so far, even when COVID hit, right, students were in school. And so there already were different um, forms of inequities that existed. But then when COVID hit and students had to go home, then the complexities that amounted weren't just in school, but it's that in school, out of school nexus. So we always know that whatever students experience in school, it's a factor of what they bring from out of school, right? Mm -hmm. Not just just students, but also uh, teachers, administrators, and school staff. And so definitely a lot of uh, different factors came into play Um, when students kind of were taken out of school rather immediately, and then now having to figure out how do I make this happen? Parents having to think about how do I provide uh, resources for my child that I may not even have right now because I lost my job. Mm -hmm. Not everyone that is at home is necessarily working, you know, and if you're on unemployment, maybe that unemployment is a lot less than your normal pay. And so even parents are trying to make sense of how do I better serve my child in a home environment if my home was never set up to be a school to begin with. 
and right. having to do this rather quickly and rather immediately. And so definitely a lot of those issues were amplified um, when COVID hit and still we're seeing that um, playing out in a lot of lives of students. You've already brought it up, but the issue of technology, I volunteered in a Lawrence Elementary School for about 20 years. And um, so one of the things you see there are racks of laptops and it's an equalizer. Every kid has access to the laptops in school. And, uh, but, but when you go home, not everybody has broadband. Maybe you have a cell phone hotspot that's now serving four kids, you know, but across town, you've got, you've got children with uh, highly developed laptops and you've got a hotspot device sitting on their upstairs bedroom desk and it's a quiet, nice place to study. And so there, there's, I'm just thinking about even the technological uh, issues that you, that you brought up and, and I don't know that there's a quick fix to that. Yeah. And there, there isn't, you know, we have seen some school districts um, take it into their own hands and trying to address some of these concerns with broadband, et cetera. And so having mobile uh, hotspots for students to access. Um, I know that there's a, a few school districts that are outside of Kansas that have went as far as trying to have a van that is just part in a community to right. make sure that students are able to access what they need. And so technology is uh, always one of those kind of issues that it varies from household to household. So even if I live in the same neighborhood, my neighbor may have different access to um, even uh, downloading videos. So my teacher may require me to watch a video, but if my internet speed is always buffering, it may take me two hours for something that was a 15 minute video. And so thinking about how that comes into play in terms of how students learn, but also the loss of learning time that's spent in trying to just address technology being technology. Yeah, extremely frustrating. So looking for a silver lining, I wonder if the public awareness of these challenges um, maybe it'll highlight some of the gaps between the haves and the have-nots and will make educators and school board members and others just more aware of really boots on the ground issues that need to be addressed. Yeah, I think that that, that is definitely the hope. Um, I think through this virus, or I know through this virus, it's been the great humbleizer for a lot of people. Um, a lot of people have lost a, a lot of different things, not just loved ones, but other things that are meaningful to them and their family and their lives. And mm -hmm. so I think that that is the, the silver lining is that it's a struggle that we're all going through and that we're all going to be, you know, prayerfully being able to make through and look past this and think about ways that we triumph, that we were victorious, we were resilient. And my hope is that students will be able to do that as well. Yeah, good. So I, I, I think you've uh, worked academically some on, uh, stress in the, the school environment. So is there ways that we can help students deal with the stress? I'm thinking about the rhythm of their academic day is just really different. And there's no guarantee that next week they'll be in school. If, if something, you know, if there was a, a cluster in their school building, there are ways to kind of help people, help those students. Yeah, I think one thing is just letting students know that we're here for you and we're doing this together. Oftentimes students can feel like even within school, they're there by themselves. 
they don't always have a teacher that they can go to or that is there to encourage them. And so I think really taking a moment to pause and for teachers, administrators as well, to reach out to students to let them know they're there. And thinking about it, not just in the form of an email, it might be an old fashioned telephone call mm -hmm. to their cell phone. It might be a text, a group text that's sent out per class. Mm -hmm. And so we have to really make sure that students understand that we value them, even within this kind of chaos that you know, we're living in, that we still see you and that you matter, even though you're not right in front of us. Um, I think it's also important a way to kind of help students kind of have a little bit of ease is allowing them to share what they're going through. You know, we don't necessarily know often as educators when we make certain requirements or we, you know, expect a child to have a certain assignment done by the next day. We don't necessarily know what they're going through and challenges that they may face. And so I think understanding where students are, where their parents are, can really go a long way more than we think. And I think lastly, it's important to just address the health needs of students. A lot of people are just stressed. You know, they go to Facebook, they go to YouTube, they go to, in today's age, TikTok, you know, young kids trying to find a way to express. And so I would encourage educators as well to not just ask students what they're going through, but give them ways to demonstrate that and release that to share with other students. Um, a way that for students to do that definitely through TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, but allowing them to kind of be their own uh, filmmakers, as you will, of what they're going through in their lives. Um, yeah, that'd be that interesting way for a lot of young people. What about discipline? <clears throat> you think, uh, you know, the stress is going to, in the classroom environment, this, this will create new challenges. Should people, instead of counting to three educators before they say something, count to five instead, you know? I'm just thinking maybe cutting some slack, I guess you got to maintain order. Oh, Should yes. there be a difference? Yeah, we're maintaining order and uh, we say order, we're really talking about a sense of well-being and safety and belonging in the classroom space. And so that should always be paramount within whatever classroom that we may come across. But I do think when we look at uh, school discipline, we can't overlook what the data shows us in terms of disparities. And so if it is being more understanding to students, if it is really tapping into not just the academic needs, but the social emotional needs of students. Um, we have to be able to do that if we want students to feel like if I get upset because of something happening outside of school, the school isn't going to punish me because I'm still a child. Sometimes students, young people, you think 17, 18, 16, five-year-olds in kindergarten don't know how to express how they're feeling right now. Mm -hmm. And that's not because they don't know how to articulate it, but this is just a tr some adults don't know how to articulate fully what they're going through right now. And so I do think that in terms of discipline, it's, it's important that we're not so much easy on students, but, but that we're more understanding and compassion, have more empathy towards what a particular situation a student may unknowingly find themselves in. Because in many cases, that's happened to us before at one point in our lives. And we needed someone to be understanding 
we needed someone to be supportive in a way maybe we couldn't say or articulate, but it, it showed on our face, right? It was those indirect, hey, how you doing? And you just look up and don't answer. It was those other ways of, you're doing a great job today, and the student just, no, I'm not. And so there's other ways that we can encourage students and be more understanding while at the same time knowing that there are rules, there are policies that students have to follow, but we're not going to punish them for things that we can maybe handle through just a simple, normal conversation. The other day I was listening to a legislative hearing and I know a, a lawmaker who's very uh, interested in having vouchers and allowing state tax dollars to go into private education said, hey, if these public school districts can't give us the 1,100 hours or whatever the requirement is of seat time for our students, let's give them the tax dollars and let them take their kids to private school. And to me, that just raised equity questions and the capacity of certain families to drive, just simply drive their kid to a private school somewhere. Uh, that, does that raise red flags for you? It does. Um, I, for a short amount of time, lived in Boston. And so Boston has many private um, colloquial schools, charter schools, school schools, magnet schools. Uh -huh. And even seeing in my time in Boston, that was one of the major issues there. And so students or parents wanting to use uh, tax dollars, so that's that per pupil funding, basically, mm -hmm. to then be able to move to a private school. And there definitely are equity issues there, as you've mentioned, transportation, but then there's also issues with who gets that seat. Private schools are only made to serve a certain number of students to begin with. And so what we've seen in places like Detroit, when the student goes and the tax that per pupil funding leaves, then you leave a school that still has bills to pay. You leave a school that, in Detroit, there's so many schools that have been abandoned or have had to close and became low performing because they couldn't keep up with repairs. They couldn't keep up with paying paraprofessionals, social workers and staff because a lot of that money left, but a lot of that, those bills still remain. And so when we think about who are we really serving here? Are we wanting to serve a certain constituency that we have and so it meets their needs? But then who are we also leaving behind intentionally and intentionally when we make those different changes, especially to per, or per pupil um, spending? That's one of the biggest uh, inequality issues that we find um, across the country, especially in a lot of urban districts. Um, in places even where I grew up in North Carolina, our uh, county only has one high school. And so everyone cannot go to that one private school that serves high school. So what happens to everybody else? And so I think it's, it's within good faith, maybe, of trying to serve a certain population. But if we can't serve all of the population, then obviously it will leave some inequitable results for the rest of us. Do you think the schools have a role in, in talking about Black Lives Matter and, and, and some of the issues that are being raised? And I know the president, there's a lot of rhetoric there, and, and I wonder how that filters down to children. Maybe it doesn't, you know, not everybody's, you know, sixth grader sits around reading the New York Times, but um, is there a way to, to talk to children about those issues? There is, um, and I think it, it comes in speaking in the language that they speak. 
And so talking to an elementary school student about it is going to be really different than um, a high school student. And so maybe with an elementary school student, it's a discussion with a, a preschool book. It's a discussion with, um, I know uh, Sesame Street has done a lot of work, PBS, on trying to address different issues. And so several weeks ago, they posted, uh, how do we talk about uh, these topics with our kids for parents and children to watch. And so there's a way that we can do it that meets students' language and where they are. Um, I do think that a lot of kids are aware of what's going on. Um, the information that they have about what's going on may differ, but I do think kids know and can feel that there is something going on in society. Um, certainly a teachable moment, perhaps. Oh, definitely. And even when we go to the, the grocery store, um, there's newspaper images kids see. You know, even when they're sitting at home, parents are talking about it or they're talking on the phone to someone else about it. And so there's definitely people having conversations about it. And we, we do a disservice when we try to hide and ignore that it needs to be talked about than if we just really try to be brave as adults and say, I do want my child to be aware of what's going on because at the end of the day, there's gonna be questions that they have and it may help me better understand what's going on and build a better relationship with my children or my child because I'm able to talk about these tough issues that we have sitting all in front of us. You think in these times that we should view standardized tests differently? Um, standardized tests have always kind of been you know, an uh, issue when you look at the history of schools. Um, what knowledge are we testing? What cultural norms are we really testing? When we look around the country, even in terms of colleges and universities, there's several colleges in California that now no longer require the SAT because mm -hmm. they realize that it's not a predictor necessarily of college success. And so I think at the school level, K through 12, that's definitely something to think about. If it's not a measure of success, what is a measure of, who are we leaving out, and who are we really putting further behind by using this as a measure of someone's intellect or capability? Do you think COVID could have an impact on dropout rates, high school? That's, a, that's something we'll have to look at the data and see. Um, and I say that because for students who drop out of school, oftentimes the school environment in itself is an issue. And so I wouldn't be shocked if the rates maybe went down because students are able to learn separate from that environment that oftentimes they drop out of and want to leave in the first place. Um, during my time in Boston, I actually worked with the Boston Public Industry Council at a dropout recovery center. Hmm. And so I spent a lot of time working with students who dropped out of school and were trying to get back into school with some of the youngest students I had being, you know, fifth and sixth grade that dropped out and wanting to get back. And so- Is that legal? It, well, no, but some of the students that did, they were homeless, okay. they had nowhere to go, sure. um, that type of thing. So they kind of got lost in the system. Um, unfortunately. But one of the things that was successful and, and is there is credit recovery. And so a lot of the students did it better working online and on a computer than they did going back to their previous school. And sure. so the question of dropping out, it possibly 
could you know have a positive influence because students are not in that environment um, not all students drop out because they hate school some are bullied so much mm -hmm. some have to on the way to school um, are being attacked you know by area gang members and I, that was something that happened actually when I was in Boston with a particular student and so there's different issues students can't afford places to stay or their parents have different uh, issues and so there's a lot of things wrapped into why students drop out and so it actually may help the numbers because of uh, COVID students aren't in those spaces but we'll have to check the data to kind of confirm and see and, and think about how to better plan moving forward. There's a lot of controversy about re relaunching the school year but I'm wondering if you could comment on the nutritional benefits, the, the school nurse benefits that school districts most of the time have available to kids that really need that? One of the things is so important, um, you know, when you're a teacher, you're an educator, it's not just about teaching, right? Teaching is not about teaching. You're the counselor, you're somebody's mama, you're their daddy, yeah. you're trying to tell them to follow the rules, you're trying to teach them life skills. And so in the same way, the school nurse is oftentimes a place that students are able to go to ask health questions about their themselves that sure. they don't feel comfortable asking their parents. And so there's definitely a loss of relationships um, that are necessary for a lot of kids, especially even with girls, um, that, yeah, that can have a long-lasting effect. Also with the school social worker, you know, right. some schools, that's the place where kids go just to let go of stress or to be somewhere that's just quiet because they don't have that walking through the halls or at, or at, um, at home. And so there's a lot of different paraprofessionals, the janitor. The janitor is one of the first people I tell everybody, when you get a job, you need to go talk to because they know everything mm. about mm. everybody and how a system works and how it doesn't work. And for some kids, the janitor is a person that encourages them in a way they don't get from their teacher or maybe they don't get from home to keep trying, keep pressing, keep looking forward. And so those individuals, the paraprofessionals and staff, really help to make a great difference in the school culture and environment that we can't forget um, that really are very critical for students. All right, before we close out, I'm wondering if you could imagine you're the czar of public education in America. Don't worry about political boundaries or financial obstacles. And so what would you do to help with the equity and quality in education issue? The number one thing I would say is to pay teachers more. Make sure you're investing in your teachers and administrators, school counselors, nurses, and you're getting great staff that are committed to doing the work. If you're not committed to be an educator, um, it just doesn't help the students. It, it really doesn't. And when you become an educator, that's what you should be there for. You know, I've been in education myself for, I guess now 2000, I'm like, man, I'm getting old since 2005. So about 15 years working with students at elementary school level, the high school level, and even in my work now. And so it's something that you have to invest in the teachers. You have to invest in the teachers. You have to invest in the teachers. 
Um, so that would be my, my first thing, my first priority, teacher pay, teacher benefits, um, allowing teachers to have time for addressing their own psychological, social, emotional needs is very important. Making sure you're investing in teacher professional development that works and that just isn't there to take up time. And so teachers are able to really learn ways to grow, ways to better serve students and better serve the community. Next, I would invest, invest into the community that surrounds the school building, making sure that teachers and administrators are able to know where students live, be able to be a voice and a face in the community, and that takes a financial investment. I can't say that I care about a community that I teach, but I don't even live there. I don't even know what the day-to-day -day things are. I don't know that place that all the kids go to at X grocery store that they come into my class and they're joking about, but I tell them to be quiet because they're disturbing class. But I don't realize that's the place to be. It really mm -hmm. takes making an investment in the community that students can see because when they see that you're not there to just teach them, but invest into the places that they live, that makes a big difference. It really does into the community centers that they live into, into that place that their grandma works and they've been working for the last 40 years, but no one's ever acknowledged that. And so really thinking about addressing teacher pay, professional development and training, but also ways that you can financially invest in bettering a community. Those would honestly be my top two spaces, the school, but then also the community that students live, summer programs that students have, not just having them in school, but out of school, and just really making sure that we're in it for the long haul for students in intentional and long-standing ways. You make a really interesting point about the community, and that is something that I had not really thought about, uh, the, the area surrounding the school building. Well, I want to thank again our guest, Dorothy Hines, an assistant professor at the University of Kansas, for sharing your expertise with us. I'm Tim Carpenter with the Kansas Reflector. Thanks for listening.